0: Hello there, and welcome to a Dungeons and Dragons role-playing podcast. My name is Stacy, and I'm the DM. So come with me and my good friend Mick. Join us in our weekly discussion about our campaign. Listen to our successes and failures while trying to flex our role-playing muscle. The funny bits, the dumb bits, and the all round good time that comes with this great activity. The cast for our second shot at this campaign is Elbrum, a male Asmar warlock with his pixie-familiar silhouette starfire of an unnamed fey court. Then there's Morden, Kell, a male elven rogue that wants to be a monk, and his brother Ventus, a male dark elf rogue with a coy smile. Asher Bloodfist, a male human barbarian that wants to kill the Black Sultan. And finally, we have Mick, who plays Calidus Magnus Lunior, a male elf-marked wizard who's got a box. The campaign setting is the Southlands from Cobalt Press. We're using the D&D 5e rule set, and we game using the Fantasy Grounds virtual tabletop. So that's the cast. That's the campaign. Now, welcome to the show. In this episode, Mick and I will talk about a new group of players, what happens in Session Zero and is it necessary, answering in character, using accents, sidetracking the players, throwing the GM, and rules versus narrative. So, sit back, stay tuned, and enjoy. Well, I'm here with Mick, as always, and we're discussing what happened in last session. Last session, we started with a new group, this new group was made up mostly from people, from players from the U.S. And we started the scenario where the characters, they had their backstories. They had a unified backstory as refugees from a Tuscali invasion. They were uh, refugee camp mates. They all stayed in, in the same tent. And, you know, over over X months living together, they became friends. And so they're having a cafe and, and along comes... A lady who sees them from across the way, and, and she, she sees that they've got the refugee armbands, and she comes over to have a discussion with them. And as the DM, I had a very clear idea of what I wanted that discussion to go. Mick, did you want? To, did you have
1: anything to say about that initial meeting and what your thoughts were? The initial meeting was about putting a proposition to the adventurers, where they would go and retrieve a jewel and get money.
0: And because get- right now. Right now they. <coughs> They're, they're refugees and they need money in order to fund themselves so that they, at some point maybe they could go get
1: revenge on the Tuscali. And what I liked about this was with this particular group, the conversation wasn't just a simple thing of, yes, we'll go and do it. The group were not prepared to just say, yes, give me the money, I'll go and do whatever you want. They asked lots and lots of questions <laughs> about the person who was putting the proposition to them. And I thought that was really good because more often than not, you don't. And if you're going to get off offered 100 gold to go and find a gem and not knowing that it happens to be the, I, the magic bullet that I, you can I sell have, for a million gold.
0: Pieces. I loved it from the point of view of uh, one of the guys was first was like, yeah, okay. And how much are you going to pay me? Because in the last time we tried a, a similar start out, you guys just took off and were, yeah, okay, let's go do it. And, and you, you, she didn't even say money. And you guys are like pretty much doing it for free. And this first first guy was just like, okay, how much are you going to pay? And then he wanted to negotiate.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Very first because, you know, it was like. And he oh, wanted to negotiate more money without knowing anything about the job. Yeah. He just figured the first offer wasn't high enough. Yeah. And that was it. He wasn't there. So I was happy
0: and I, I was prepared, certainly prepared for that. I was prepared for a number of things where the con- a conversation might go. But there was a couple of things where they like, oh, you know, I in my mind, I have a, an idea of who the person is that you're looking for. But I never, ever thought of being able to describe him from the point of view of, you know, what, what clothes was he wearing? So I've always described him as, well, he's like this. And he's like, okay, what clothes does he wear? And I was just like, crap. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, and you don't have a picture to go from. So, you know, someone has it in the module that doesn't say, so you just got to come up with something on the fly and... It's, it was good. It was it was really good. The group really engaged me from that point. and And I, I think I did well enough because as that NPC, I managed to convince you guys
1: that, all right, we're going to take this quest. And we did ask the difficult questions of it. You know, you, you were able to identify the thief and we asked you how you knew who it was. And I guess this comes back to preparation. If you're not prepared as a DM, you will be sitting there struggling to, to figure yeah, out all the answers. Well, the other question was, was, <laughs> um
0: one one of the one of the players and I'm I'm still getting used to the new players' names and stuff like that, so I, I can't remember who's who just yet. But one of the players was like, So how come you didn't go to the city watch? And again I got stumped. I was just like, crap, I never thought that one out either. Uh <laughs> so I mean I knew who she was from a background point of view, that I was able to to throw something together that made sense to me, but again I was just like, crap, why wouldn't she go to the police? <laughs> So it was good. It was a, a couple of really <clears throat> excellent questions, and and, and
1: why why would she not pursue the thief into the area that that, yeah. that she had to go into? And um, I, I
0: as well, like I once these questions were coming in from from left and right field, I made it a very specific point as the GM that any of the questions you guys had, like I know you guys had some internal questions as well, but I was always answering in character. I wasn't about to to not answer in character. And that was really good because it, 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 you know, with the
1: accent, did you have the accent?
0: Yeah, I was trying, I was tough as hell to to, uh, play a female voice, but then to throw something into it from a different species, challenge accepted.
1: Yeah, and that went well. So, and, and another point, if you're going to be a DM is if you're going to be a DM and you're going to do NPC stuff, the more you can do with a voice it's easy then for the players to know you're in character or you're out of character, whether you're having a discussion about the rules or whether you're just in character. and you know, if, if you get asked a question about the rules and you answer in character, clearly it means you're not gonna enter into a rule debate, which is yeah. a great way of, of managing the game.
0: Yeah. And then of course, you guys, of course, were like, okay, well, where did he go? And, and she just gave you a general direction, you know, you gotta go to this district. And so, uh, right away, the players were smart enough that they're like, well, let's start talking to some people because, you know, just going, go north is really not good enough of a direction. And so right away, you guys went and started talking to people. And again, I was, uh, you know, it's great because, I mean, you're in a city full of people. You can mm. ask them all kinds of questions. I mean, is, if you ask everybody about the antagonist, are they going to know them? No, but I mean,
1: you don't always have to ask about the antagonist. You can always ask other things, you know? And and part of what this this group is doing, and it'll probably come out later, is that they are building a, a reputation for themselves, which I think will will stand them in good stead later on. They are- but that's only because of what happened
0: later on. At the, at the very beginning, you got a quest, and you started going after that quest, and then you you met a couple of kobolds, both named Daryl. Yes. And they came up and they tried to... Get you guys to go and visit this man. And it was so funny listening to you guys because you're like, you, you completely ignore these kobolds. And I was trying really hard as kobolds because <laughs> I, I knew what their motivations were. And so I was really playing it up being these annoying little buggers who are trying to convince you to go and visit their master. And kind of like a Tilly marketer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I, in, in this case, you know, I was really trying to be conscious about I'm not, I don't want to influence your guys' decisions and say, force you to say, you must go here. Cause I mean, you didn't have to go there. But I, I was thinking specifically about with these two kobolds, I mean, what was important to them? And yeah, they would
1: badger the shit out of you guys. They're slaves. They have a job to do. And, and, and if they don't deliver deliver the group back to their master, then the, the question that's going to be asked of, of Well, the master is, you know, you guys have failed. He's a big for you, that's how it will be. I thought it was great that you guys actually figured out, you asked enough questions that
0: you were able to figure out that they were slaves. Because I certainly didn't give it away that they're slaves, because from their point of view, they didn't think that they were slaves. But you guys knew something about common knowledge, and kobolds are dragon folk kin, and common knowledge wise, you knew that most dragons folk uh, in the city were all slaves. So it was, you know, a good bit of knowing common knowledge or what was common knowledge in the city and applying it to uh, npcs that you met and and then you ask questions around that and of course the i had
1: to answer in such a way that well how would people answer if they don't actually know that they're slaves interesting too is that when you you look at some of the things up our reputation does come later but we did give away a gold piece to an urchin which i thought was just incredibly generous yeah was... and i'm hoping that the dm will see fit to allow this to to leave us in good stead with all of the urchins within the populace. Well, that, that, was, that was actually brilliant. One of the guys, his...
0: So you have your, your personal backstory that you guys have created, but you've also got the D&D 5e background. And his D&D 5e background was an urchin. So he's like, as an urchin, I know what motivates them. And I was just like, well, brilliant. I mean, he's incorporating some of it, that stuff in. I was like, okay, absolutely. So, you know, let's work with this.
1: So, I mean, that, I thought as well, that was a brilliant bit of... Of role playing too, and and yes, and then well, should we move on to, to yeah, uh, so uh, so you guys are walking we, we along. We want money to return. I guess that is one of the yeah, things. And and you're you're ignoring yeah. the
0: kobolds who are trying to get you, and you guys are moving in the direction because you want to solve this one thing. You want to find this guy for for this girl and get paid. And as you're moving through this area, uh, you hear some screaming,
1: and and I guess and that brings up a, a, another issue too. I guess which will will be common to all games all dnd games and that is that the ability for the dm to sidetrack you to go and do something completely different yeah and in this case we have a task that we're set to do we must go and find the gem that's what we've agreed to do and the dm is hammering us about lots and lots of other things all the way along through the plot
0: yeah and i i, I remember specifically before even introducing the screen to the north i i said let's do a biology break because i really wanted to think do I introduce that encounter at that point? Was it a good point? And I was thinking about there's there's always going to be lots of plots, but there's things going on in the city. And, you know, you know what this area is. You know that this area, nobody lives there. So I was like, well, let's see what how they react. Yeah. And whether or not that encounter rolled out, it didn't really matter to me. To me, what mattered was I wanted to see how the players would react walking through a dead part of the city where nobody lives and they hear a scream. What are they going to do?
1: And I
0: mean, it was brilliant. The the choice that you guys are like, well, I think one guy was just
1: like, I heard a scream. I'm going. (laughs) Yes. And interestingly enough, the rest of us went, hang on a minute. That's incredibly dumb. Um, It's kind of like rushing towards the sound of gunshots, isn't it? It's not the kind of thing that you would, you would do. And interestingly that the group fairly unanimously decided that rushing in is is not the answer to to, well, to, to everything that comes along. You, you did decide that oh we're good, right? We're a good group.
0: <laughs> so yeah. that that question was asked, and yeah, okay. So you decided that you're going to go in, but then after you decided you're going to go in, then
1: you started being smart about it. Yes, yeah, we're not going in with guns blazing and to get a head blown off. We're going to go in and, and see what we can do. And unfortunately, the the person that was being tortured died, but we did manage to kill yeah of so so the Tuscali that were there. And at this point in time, the whole DM's plan fell apart completely.
0: Yeah, I, so I, I wanted the encounter of, the Tuscali invasion happened. So this was really just a reminder that, here's Tuscali, they're in the city. You don't know why they're in the city. They're in the city, they're, they were torturing some guy, they killed some guy, and then what do you guys do? So <clears throat> it was really about, okay, the overarching plot is, you know, this big Tusculi invasion. It's why everybody became refugees in the city. So this was just a reminder. Now I didn't know what this would mean to your characters and how you'd react. I, I really was just introducing the encounter because, again, I was thinking it's a big city. You know, there's a chance that things would happen. What would happen with you, when you guys do the in, do these things? And after that, yeah, then it was it was way out of left field <laughs> and i didn't know i was like oh god now what am i going to do because now I completely derailed the the original goal and yes. which is fine i mean it, it's all good you know you, you, you guys have a few threads now to follow and i just didn't expect that you would continue going down this thread at all and it was it yes, was brilliant
1: the, the party has pretty much abandoned the idea of of uh hunting out the the gym they have got themselves a Toscali and they are now off to the local police station to uh, explain what had happened, which is what all good citizens would do. Yeah. Um, so that at the end of the night left our DM scrambling for what on earth is he going to do now? Well, and I, it was interesting because you guys are like, we should drag one of these Toscali to the police.
0: And I was just like, oh, yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. You know, why wouldn't you do that? You know that they're invading and, and showing the, the, you know, the city or whoever that they're here. So yeah, you guys, uh, set up a makeshift. I don't know what you would call it. You tied it to Scully to someone's staff and carried In it between it. you guys. So yeah. you didn't, so you didn't have to drag it through the cities and, and, uh, walk along. And of course you, you exit the, the dead area, the dead zone of the city and you enter into the civilized part. And I just warm well, yeah. you guys
1: with people. <laughs> And again, an opportunity for the for the the group to build a reputation within the city, and the bigger their reputation gets and the, they did they did exploit this. They walked into the crowd and started talking to the people who asked them questions, and they gathered bits and pieces of information until the police came. yep, so they now have a reputation for being generous to the urchins, for killing off the Tuscali, and all the people love them because they are heroes, yep. It, well, at least that's what you know so far. So, I mean, the people were all very, very
0: interested. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't they, everybody's heard about the Tuscali. They've got this huge refugee camp outside the city and they all know that it's related to the Tuscali and then all of a sudden here's some people walking with this creature between them and there's enough information that, yeah, the people would know that that would be a Tuscali. It's not that yeah. they would not know this is some mysterious beast. So, you know, they see this dead creature. And they're like oh my god and they so they swarm you and they swarm asking questions and uh ah, you guys did really really well and you know you're you, were, you a, as a party and, and still remembering that you had this other goal <laughs> you were asking it some extra questions <laughs> and all of a sudden you started getting answers i mean and sometimes you would hear the person and sometimes you you didn't hear the person who just a bit of gossip away, hit, would hit it. your guys's ears <laughs> and, and someone would Lie through his teeth because he <laughs> figured he could get some cash out of you guys, and you. And then it was brilliant too because I, I like that one of the characters is like, I'm definitely going to insight that, check that guy because I think he's lying. <laughs> he rolled freaking high and he's like, yeah, yeah, he's
1: totally lying. He just so, he's yeah, yeah, trying to get I, you guys yeah. to give him some free money. Yeah. So it was. It was good. It'll be interesting to see too where this goes because this opens up this this kind of chaos opens up potential. There would be I would expect that the finding the Tuscali inside the city walls would now lead to some form of mass panic, or you know rumors running rife. Uh, I imagine that the the management of the city are going to be on toes. On, on yeah, well, it certainly means that as a DM,
0: I've got my work cut out for me in terms of what I have to prepare for next session because clearly I wasn't ready for this. And, and of course uh, I prepare just what I think is going to happen at the beginning of the session. And after that, it's, again, it's a free for all. And, and as a DM, you know, I think that the rule I, uh, someone would mention to me, I don't want to follow the the A, B, C, D where you need to get from A to D, but you must go through B, C, D in order to get there. I, I'm more of here's a bunch of encounters and, how they happen when they happen is really up to the decisions that you guys made. So it's really just having encounters ready. And in this case, this is one scenario where this was just something I never, it was completely out of left field. So I've got to come up with a bunch of extra encounters of, of possibilities that might spin off that. It was brilliant. I, I was it, it really, it, I think the lesson I, I learned from this is that yes, when you're in your city, a lot of things happen, but be careful which direction
1: you go. in. Yeah. <laughs> The other part about this is that the DM can always drag it back. I mean, the, the, there are, <laughs> playing this is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, while well, it's a, a game, it's also, it's not that competitive. While it's, while it's wonderful to throw the DM, and I find that incredibly entertaining to do that, it all, you also do need to help him get back on track. And that means that a good team would look at this and say, yes, clearly we've thrown him. They'd know by the way it unfolded that this was not part of the plan. And they need to keep in the back of their mind that they really do need to go back to the initial thing, which is, in this case, find the gem. That was yeah. what you were you were tasked for, um, and that's where that where it should go. Yeah. And you need to drag yourself back. the The DM's exit strategy, as always, will be if you don't, if it gets too far out of hand, is to, I guess is to kill the party. And in this particular case, <laughs> uh, it's a pretty simple story: you didn't find the gem, the world ended, you're all dead. Or, and, or I mean. I think that the, the, what a good GM does is that, I mean,
0: when, at least this is my feeling, is that the parties, the the players have to have the ability to go wherever they like. They The world is a world. And, you know, when you meet someone, this is one of those things where I've heard before, and this is one of the things I wasn't ready for, was... Keep a list of names at hand so that when a person's like, "Okay, what's your name?" you've got a name for it. And it was just—you <laughs> did get caught last night. With I did. John. I, I did get <laughs> we caught. Did and I like come John. up with John, and I'm just like, "Oh, for God's sakes, John! Yeah. The, the, these should all be Arabic names or you know, yeah. Egyptian type names." And most of the characters do. And there's like, "Oh, what's his name?" Oh, <laughs> I threw John out there. So you, yes, have a, a list of names by your side so that you're prepared for it. But again, as the GM. What you really want to do is be it creative enough and as imaginative enough that you can tie that direction that they've went that you weren't expecting try to tie it back to the main uh, one of the main plots so the main plot of course is a Disqually invasion, but you need the, the, the players to do certain things and and you want them to go in certain areas so you maybe they don't go after that gem well what does that mean but there's all these other possible encounters around. So you do, the idea is, is how do I get them back by going off to the right? I still need them to go back to the left. And how do I make a connection there so that it's meaningful, meaningful to you guys so that the narrative keeps going forward and, and it doesn't stop because at the end of the day, I, I think that if two days pass or something like this, you know, the, the thought of, well, let's go after the thief. And if it's two days, He's well, gone. where is the thief? Yeah. So if the thief hadn't been caught, <clears throat> what happens? Hmm. What's different? So to me, uh, this is one of the, the the good things I've heard too from other GMs is that time still moves forward uh, in the NPC world. It's not beholden on the the players encountering this in order to trigger time's movement again. Yeah, you know what I mean? So in this particular case, it's very, very clear that time constantly is moving. Things are constantly happening. And it's all right. So if the players don't do these things, well, what is that going to mean? What are they going to see? Well, how are they going to affect who they are? And, and that's a little bit of the preparation that is um, uh, tricky. And for GMs that, that are uh, managed to do this like on a daily basis, I have to take my hat off for them because that really means they know that setting. Extremely, extremely well, and that they've got you know lots of different encounters ready or, or lots of different NPCs, so that, it's fairly impressive. And you know, as, as someone
1: fresh in it, it's it's certainly something you know, an area to grow in. It does, I, and I guess that the, we go back to um, part of it becomes about setting the scene,
0: yeah. And if yeah, this is really again, so uh, what we wanted to talk about here is. So this is what happened last session, but session zero, setting the stage. And so this was the thing. So this week we had our first session. Last week was session zero. And in session zero, I, I it's character creation time, but it's also letting them know what are the rules that are going to make up this world and setting the stage. So uh, I provided a checklist of the variant rules that would be in play. So, for example, one variant rule is... I am not rewarding XP for killing monsters or for, for, uh, finishing quests. It is, you must complete a milestone and, and I'm aware what those milestones are. And I, I judge based on that. So that was one of the variant rules. Uh, another of the variant rules was around healing with the medicine check and using healing kits in order to have. So all of that stuff was inside the session zero checklist, which I provided. Uh, probably a couple of weeks to before our session yes. zero so that the people were ready. And the other big one was we're rolling our characters. And I really liked what Matt Colville had mentioned in one of his YouTube channels discussions was you roll 46, drop the lowest, but you need two stats that must be above 15. And for the first character, as you roll, it's going to be strength. Dexterity, Constitution, Intelligence, Wisdom, and Charisma. So, yeah, that, that's what I had. And at uh, Session Zero, it was funny. All the guys came in, well, almost all of them came in, with pre-rolled characters, and I was just like, nope, not going <laughs> to yeah. happen. So they all had to roll, and oh, unbelievable. I couldn't believe, sitting there watching, how everybody rolled an 80-plus average character. It was just ridiculous. But, yeah, I mean, they all did, and so...
1: But it does, there's an upside to that, and that is that if they'd all rolled incredibly low numbers, and they'd all whinge and complain bitterly about the fact that they've, they've got to do something they don't want to do. I love the fact that when you are a DM, we don't get a choice. You roll, the numbers are the numbers, and you have to figure out what you're going to be. So you don't get to live in that comfortable land of, I'm going to do what I've always done, and surely this yep. is a game that's designed to allow you to do something well, that's exactly every it's, single time. You you love playing the fighter class type person and this time you you
0: rolled crappy strength. You couldn't yeah. be it. So you are playing a wizard for the first time.
1: I have no armor, no weapons and have no idea how to cast a spell. But it, it was bloody brilliant though. It was so funny when you did encounter
0: the tuscali and you did cast magic missile and you're like I've never done this before. I've got my book open in front of me and I'm rubbing my fingers together. And all of a sudden the missiles come flying out of your rubbed fingers together. And and one of the guys thought that was amusing enough that he gave you inspiration on that. So it was, uh, yes. it was pretty funny.
1: And given that my character, um, his backstory was, was, Oh, we should go into this, this, this yeah. sequence of how this came about. So once you've got your character, you then get to do a backstory. Yeah. So
0: for me, the How to bring the party together, why they're together, is the Tuscali invasion. That they are refugees. Now, how you, did they become... Given, given, you've given that to them before I, they start. You've given way before the, it started. A couple like, of pages it, of... When I first started out, even before Session Zero, when I went looking for new players, I said, this is the setting. We're going to play in the Southlands from Cobalt Press. And you guys will all be refugees from this invasion. But... You still get your d 5e background, and even though you've got that background, you still have a backstory that's tied to that background, tied to who you are and why you're a refugee. So a couple of them, two elves, a wood elf and a drow. Elves are really, really, really rare in, in the Southlands, and drows are even that much more. So how in the heck did that happen? So, well, they fell through a portal. And they fell through a portal and they landed in a town that was currently undergoing uh, an invasion. And so they're running with the survivors and they basically run up to the, the, the city camp, or the refugee camp, who knows how many days later. But that's how they become refugees.
1: Another one. And so we see that the sequence of this is that, that on, on day zero, you roll your character. You've already got the information. You now have a week to figure out what your character is going to be and Mm -hmm. write a backstory to tie the whole thing together. And this, this group has done a good job of that. Yep. They've all, everybody's made a point of trying to come up with
0: some kind of uh, a backstory. And for me, I like that because then it means that, well, I've already got plots in, in, and tied to little modules and stuff like this and trying to tie this stuff together, but it's so much more meaningful if, There's something from your backstory that ties into it. Like one of the characters, he is not quite human and, you know, he has, and it's tough not for me not to give away much, but he's come in contact with something and he doesn't really know. And and I I remember when we were talking about his backstory, he's, and I was like, well, what, what is it? He's like, well, you decide. I mean, I contacted it. I don't know what it is. You you get to use that as a plot, and I was just like, actually, that's actually
1: a really great idea because I I get to choose what it was that met, and I have an unopened box, yeah, and and, that I think contains an incredibly good dagger, but it could in fact contain a dead spider. Yeah, it's uh, your backstory.
0: You you know, you came to the city uh, on a ship and made friends with this captain, and he gave you this box and you hope that it's got this fancy dagger that you're trying to bring in for free for being a level 1 character and you haven't opened up this box and so how am i going to use that as a as a plot through uh, hook
1: yeah. and i and and i guess one of the other things to do and and this is up for debate but i have exploited everything that you put out there about where we are every name that you've given and i have given myself options of knowing some of these people yeah, and then being the personal friends. So the other part that I did was as we were moving up to Session Zero,
0: what I did was uh, using Discord, they've got the text channels, and I have a role-playing text channel. You know, the idea being that uh, players can role-play between sessions as they like. So I decide, well, why not role-play some of the NPCs? So pr- prior to Session Zero, I decided to give them insights into one low-end NPC and one high-end NPC and, you know, just some of their thoughts as they were, you know, overlooking the city for whatever, their daily life. Exactly. And you decided that with the information I gave there, you were going to throw all of that into your your own personal
1: backstory and, and, you know, so you could make the world (laughs) that much better for yourself. Or or alternatively, I don't know that I did it so that I'd make the world better for myself, but, it does provide a hook. It, and the choice as to whether the NPCs that I have had contact with in my backstory, I haven't defined whether it's been good or bad. Yep. So I've left it open. Um, it's it's quite easy that I could find myself looking at someone who I hope is going to be a friend of mine only to find out that the DM has yep, decided so that uh, no, I was evil and I rich. was bad well, and, and, and the- I get crushed. And that really from a player point of view, it's quite entertaining when your expectation goes right out the window. Well, and and this is what I like is that, you know, playing in the city is
0: you do have these NPCs and, and, you know, comparing, you know, what we did with this last session and with the other group, there are consequences to all your guys' decisions. And when you are meeting someone new, like even in the regular world, are they honest right from the get-go or are they more like, well, why is he talking to me? What What does he want? So, you know, from my point of view, like the NPCs, people come up to them and some might be just freely give you information. Why not? Because that happens in regular life. But others are going to be like, oh, more guarded. Guarded, or, you know, maybe they will instantly lie, or maybe they'll be like, oh, how can I make some profit out of this for myself? Because they're going to have their own motivations. Now, clearly, I don't have backstories for every single person in this, but. You know, for the main people, like the the big cheeses that run the city, you, you do have that information. And then, as they meet
1: other people, uh, yeah, you do got to come up with something that it, it lets them know that the world is real. And and I do wonder why it is that that when the people that I meet and play with seem to think to, to rush in and end up killing everything in sight, where we're in a, we're in a, a real world. That would be somewhat frowned upon. Well, I think this goes again back to, so they
0: rolled up in a character and I very explicitly said, you must give me a backstory. And part of my reasoning behind saying, give me a backstory is because you become by, by coming up with a backstory and it doesn't matter what you do. Like you went nuts. A lot of the other guys wrote maybe three <laughs> paragraphs. You wrote like eight pages. Eight pages. is It's crazy. I got carried away. You get very carried away. But the point is, is that all of a sudden now you and everyone else, they are now invested in that character because they've put a bit of time and effort into a having to choose something that they weren't prepared to choose. And I've, now that you've chosen that uh, coming up with something meaningful for you. So you don't want to just let them die because you all know that the second character, when you roll the stats, you can put the stats where you like, yes. but I am not going to say, I'm just going to kill off my character in the first couple of sessions. I mean, that's
1: that's just crap. You, you've got to try. And the interesting thing about this is that the I, I do like the way that you have the backstories and the other players don't. Yep. So that means that I, I, I've written an eight-page tell-all, but my fellow players don't. So And we haven't had the meeting yet. We haven't had the sit-down where we have actually compared pieces of our backstory with each other. Yeah, and, So and, that we actually know what's going on. And, and that's and that's where the very first thing I did was I said, before introducing the complete
0: scene, I was just like, okay, you guys have been living together. Whether or not you've shared your own personal backstories is debatable, but you all know that you've been living together. You've become friends because you're all living in the same tent. And you all know that you're here because for for one reason or another, the Toscali, directly or indirectly have caused you to be inside this tent city.
1: I I, I guess, and now as part of where we go back to what I can do now. We are about to get carted off to see the sergeant of the guard. And I need to convey to the other players before we start next week that I actually know him. And so this comes to the part of we have a... Well,
0: in fact, this this is... Okay, so this ties in a little bit with the metagaming thing that we were discussing a little bit. (laughs) And in this case, as the session was, was wrapping up, and you, you you asked the question, oh, so are we going to go and see Sergeant Mehmet? And, you know, I was like, yes, but in character wise,
1: you don't know who you're going to meet. No, but what I will do is I will, I will now utilize um, Discord to write the conversation that we are having on the way to see the big police chief. I thought we actually were going to see Sergeant Mehmet, but when, if we don't know who we're going to see, I am going to you know, yeah, let the guys I- know that I do know a member of the police force. So um, Well this is this is where I was like, okay, they're walking <laughs> through this district, there's crowds of people. How long would it
0: take before the the, the local guard heard and how long would it take? So yes. you know, I was just like, yeah, okay, within an hour, sure, perhaps. Absolutely. You guys are walking through you, you, you can't do anything but walk because you guys are broke. You can't
1: afford transportation. they dragon going to to I scale they going to stay quiet for very long. Yeah,
0: and, and as you move from one island to, to the other island, you know there there's the police waiting for it. But I was like, I can't have them meet anybody important yet. No. Mostly because it was like, I'm not sure what that's going to mean. And I needed time. So I was just like, you met the police, they put you on top of an earth sled and they're taking you back to the office and then
1: it was... Session and, and, and interestingly, from a player point of view, there is no way that we're going to meet anyone higher than the, the sergeant. Well, that, and that, that just wouldn't happen. That, that's the thing, you know. It this is as the GM, you, you've got to ask. You do
0: know who the people are that are running the city. What has to happen, or what would be a good thing to meet one of these higher ups? Like in our mm-hmm. with the other group, I had you guys meet Lady Alashra. Lady Alashra was. One of of the advisors to the city councilors, And so there's four city councilors. They're responsible for running the city and they have four advisors. And this is one of those very, very powerful NPCs. It's an advisor. And I I remember when, when you guys met after, I mean, lots of things happened in that session. And I sat there after that session thinking, God, would they have actually met her? No. Because they are level one. Yeah. Do you have level 1 people meet these really big people? I mean, yeah, it could be it could not be. It really depends on what's going on. But for me it's I what do you need to do to really immerse you in the world? And this is where I realized too because in the previous game that uh, that other uh, player who's playing Jenny, the things that he said to this higher high level NPC realistically I would think if that 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 person was, let's say, for for the sake of argument, was lawful evil, and this monkey first level person was mouthing off, chances are they would probably
1: <clears throat> be killed. Yes. Well, I mean, and as a GM, I minutes.
0: you know I wasn't prepared to 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 do that, but you know again I'm still new, but I'm thinking you know, okay, if you are like if you are sitting there uh, insulting someone who the people love if the people
1: love that that person yes. what are they going to do if you sit there and talk like i remember i don't, I don't know that they even have to love them Is it, 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 it really is it's as simple as that. if you are you know if you are in grade one at school you do not go up to the head of the university and, and tell him telling you pig because that's the end of your career and your education yeah uh, you won't last two minutes like that yeah well i, I was there
0: sort of thinking of of when i when i was thinking this i was thinking about I lived in um, uh, another country for a while ago and where soccer was a big thing. And uh, some other people were visiting the country and they insulted the, the local soccer team. And they got beaten senseless. Yes. So th- this is one of those things, you know, like I'm aware of who the main NPCs are. And I have an idea of what the, pe- po- the populace thinks of. So if you're insulting one of these ones, and this one's a loved one, Yeah, I don't think that that's going to go well. And as a GM now, I'm I'm realizing, okay, what is common knowledge? And making sure someone... I I remember listening to um, uh, a GM recently who was giving a tip. Shoot, I wish I remembered his name off the top of my head. But he was saying traps are crap. And I agree with him. Traps, without enough foreshadowing for a, a player, is crap. And one trap is social interactions. So some things the, the, the players have to be aware of the world, they would be aware of in the world. And you yeah. can't just be like, oh, well uh, the people kill you because they, you know, they love that, that, you know, that, that counselor, for example, if there was no foreshadowing and no prep up so that you knew that when people spoke of that counselor, they usually spoke with a lot mm-hmm. of affection, that kind of foreshadowing ought to tell you that, Doing, but even insulting if, them will be a stupid thing to do. But,
1: but even if the people don't love the leader, that person is still the leader, and to insult the leader—well,
0: yes—if you, if, if you are
1: there and the leader is there and you're insulting them, yes, there's going and to be a consequence. In the whether or not game, that played. is what we saw. In the first yes. game, we saw Jenny continually go out and attack. Yeah, or insult the people yeah, in high, and high, high places, that, and you cannot do that. Yeah, she did that directly when yes.
0: she did have the opportunity to meet someone in a high place, and then she did it indirectly to a different person, another high-level person in the city. So in, in essence, you guys met one advisor. You didn't meet a second, but you met a lot of the peons in a second because uh, I realized that uh, after meeting that first one that you weren't going to meet another one so I didn't allow you to meet the other one, but then she was insulting through that the second one's henchman, for lack of better words. And again, you know,
1: it's not direct, it's indirect, but you keep on it enough
0: and there's going to be consequences.
1: That's right. And a good and a good DM will, will take this and say, your party's reputation yes. um, is just rapidly going down the toilet. And and then what does the rest of the players do? You
0: know, like if if one character's actions are going to affect that uh, the rest of the party. You know, what what are they going to do about that? Because it's it does matter.
1: Yeah, uh, and the and when the NP uh, when the when the when the DM starts playing this the full way, your, your your group's reputation is so bad that no one will talk to you. No one will sell you anything. No well, one will give you any <coughs> jobs to do. And that's when uh, the whole thing comes about. Of has your group turned from being the heroes into the big bad evil guy Yep. Yeah. so now it's yes your party has trashed its reputation some of your players have gone way beyond the scope of role playing how do you actually do you just kill them off and say we're going to start again and what happens when the players that you've got uh have been reached the stage of just becoming yeah because this this then becomes boring. like
0: with session zero yeah part of session zero's idea is you're setting up these are the rules. This is the social contract. This, this is, is how we're going to play. We've raised the bar. This is what you yeah. need to get to. Now, there could be that the characters become the big, bad, evil guy, perhaps. Cursed, uh, bewitched. Well, yeah, for some reason that that might be totally part of the narrative. But if, they just, if they're doing it because they are not respecting the social contract. And, and respecting the social contract is about some of the things we've already talked about. Who gets the loot? and some of those decisions that really ought to be made by having a be in character conversations. I know with the other group, they had a very, very hard time about having a conversation about things like, well, why do you get that? Or why do you do this? Why do you always do the tuning or why can't I tune to me? Those are absolutely valid in character questions that you guys can have. You don't have to be out of character to have those questions because you know, you, you you sit there and you watch the rogue. When you're playing the game, you're going to hear something like the rogue, the rogue is over there and he's doing something and he rolls. So as the other players, you know that the rogue is doing something. You're not sure what, but you can hear the GM talking to the rogue. So you're out of character. And you're totally aware of what's going on. How do you take that information in character and what does it mean if you suspect that that, that rogue is doing something?
1: In uh, character. I, 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 at this point, of course, raise the question is that if you are a rogue and you are cheating on your own team, then how long do you expect that this team will survive for? Well, this this comes down
0: yeah. to this other uh, player that we were with and he was very much wanting to play his character. And he's like, doesn't trust anyone. He will steal from everybody else. And I had to say to him, like, out of character, out of session, I spoke directly to him and I was like, look, Please remember that if you are going to do, make a decision in character that is going to affect your reputation with the other characters, there's going to be an out-of-character response to that from those other players. Now, there, will they respond in character or will they respond out of character? I mean, expecting them to respond in character is, um, I mean, you could expect thing. that. But the fact, the fact is, is they're going to be upset. And Unless this, and this, you can do foreshadowing th- to such a point that it becomes an amusing anecdote uh, yes. with, as part of the narrative. But if you're just going to do that without any foreshadowing for them,
1: you're just going to piss them off. And this becomes part of the contract, doesn't it? Because yes. More often than not, the people that you've got sitting around the table are people that you don't know. They've signed up on on. Know, so whatever method it is that they've signed up to play the game, yeah. and if you look at the case now, we've got two people in Australia, four people in America, none of them live within QE of each other. yep uh, you are going to if you cheat on one of these people. You will ruin the game for them. And, and if when you ruin th- the game for them, it will end in in disharmony. So you need to think about this thing. And, and that's why that social co- contract, introducing that social contract in session zero and those
0: expectations are really important because there is no body language no. when you're playing online. Uh, all you've got is hopefully a decent audio connection. And the thing is, if, if with even though you have audio... There is a lot to be said about being able to pick up on nuances through body language that everybody is aware of. And you would never do that if you were in front of people because you know that you would really
1: upset things. So, and just the accents and terminology that, that Australians use compared to Americans is one that, that you know, we can <laughs> say something and they can be have no idea what we're talking about. I call them a bunch of wombats. They probably think I'm being nice to them when I'm just saying you're idiots. Well, and
0: it's it's so funny, too, because, like, the very first thing they're like is, so you're from Australia and your name is Mick, and you didn't have a clue what, why they no were. And it's just so funny because, I mean, I, being from Canada, I, and when I heard that, I instantly knew why that was amusing
1: to them because, you know, Crocodile Dundee. And I'm going, like, Mick. you can call me Michael or, yeah, Mike, and I don't care. I mean, but you're called Mick. Yeah, I mean, that's
0: the thing is, is from North America, if you've never ever really traveled and a huge majority of the people haven't traveled, and especially even if you have traveled and you've never been to Australia, that little bit of uh, a stereotype is it's, it's just there. It's real. And so everybody's like, you know,
1: Aussie, Mick, you and, know, and it's an example of how this, how, how this contract can just completely unravel. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they do. And I think this, is, this, this then brings us to the next point. We have a, we have a rogue that's cheating on us. We have a, we've got Jenny who's in, in the other game running amok and insulting everybody and their dog. Two out of four members of a team are now running amok. How do you bring it to a conclusion? And how, as a DM, do you also bring it to a conclusion, even if they're behaving okay, yeah. but they're getting boring? Yeah, because that's I mean, the, the I, I, I,
0: I, that's one of those things, you know, like it's a tough conversation in terms of, well, what do you do as a player in such a group or as a GM in such a group? And the, the reality is, is like I was a player in another group where it's not that the group was murder hobos, for sure not. But there was one player in particular that was, they said, I'm not metagaming, I'm not metagaming, but... The way they did things in out out like things like in Discord and stuff like that, they were very demeaning to the other players. And that only goes so far before you just had enough. And So as a player, you have a choice. You can speak directly to that person. And normally when you speak directly to that person, constructive criticism is a talent. And most people won't recognize constructive criticism. They will get an insult and they'll get defensive. And when you're talking about a troll who doesn't have the social skills. I mean, very clearly they're the type of person that, that, you know, their interaction to the world is electronic. So they just don't have the ability to see that as anything other than an insult. So talking to them directly would not go anywhere. No. So you, next thing as a player, you, you you can talk to the
1: GM and hopefully the GM will do something social contract wise. So I'll just kill you. Oh. Yeah. Um so yeah or you could be killed off. So please or, kill me off. I've had enough.
0: Or or you just as your third option is you just stop playing. Yeah. And and for me <laughs> and in that in that one other session where I'm a player, i that was my decision. Is <clears throat> I've spoken to the GM before, yep. and you know, the response from the GM was he put down the social contract in writing and said, This is it. And so I was just like, okay, I'm I'm not going to discuss it anymore. I've already did what I thought was the right thing to do. Yes. Uh, So I'm not going to be a player. As a GM in this scenario, like we're saying that that one guy who plays in character, I made a point that I would talk to him and I would say, look, please recognize, I understand you were trying very hard to be in character. Good for you. But you must, must, must understand that when you are in character and you say certain things because you think that it's going to be amusing or something like this, When you're using your regular voice, that could be a problem because can people make the differentiation? And chances are no. No. Chances are pretty much guaranteed they will not be able to make the differentiation that this was a joke, an in-character joke. Not unless you've got the foreshadowing there. So I had to talk to him and say, look, you need to be aware of these things. You need to be aware that the things that you do are going to have an out-of-character consequence. Mm. So you got the DM should mediate, should talk in-game. When things explode, well, the one thing is: is if they explode, I just kind of change my viewpoint. If people are invested and in let the emotions get high, there could be the possibility that they're that involved with the character that you know they're they're excited about it. But uh, it's a very different thing when emotions get high because that in character, out of character, social contract balance has been has been mm-hmm. just crashed. Yeah. So you can try to mediate as a GM, but you also got to be like. Okay, well, what's I mean? As a GM, you can mediate, you can talk to the people individually, and then, of course, the third thing is you just finished with the session and and that you're it. you're done
1: being the GM for the group. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So yeah, and and, 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 that it's, uh, and that in itself is challenging to actually to to finish it to finish with it and leave on cordial terms. Yeah, that's 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 a real challenge. Well, well,
0: it, well you, it is it is one of the like a, it yeah. is a difficult conversation to have, you know. Where do you go from there? Can things be resolved? And this is why, again, the session zero, setting up the stage, and this is the social contract that we'll play by. And now, because we set that stage, I think I, uh, as a GM, what I'll, I'll probably do is that at the start of every every session, we just, just remember your session zero stuff, what our mutual social contract
1: is. Let's try to keep playing in character, but respect everybody else, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I, I'm no doubt that the the pre session, the pre session stuff, and the session zero stuff is is completely changed
0: yeah. for me. But,
1: the way this has been uh, done, that's that's something I've not seen before, and that and that and I think that's a real plus. And and the thing is too is that it, it, I mean, if you look at things, if you've got a group and it could be like
0: a year later, and I think after time, the the group would it would just be part of that session. It'd be part of that. I, I can't see. You know, a year of playing with uh, a group of people where it's just progressively getting worse. Cause if it's progressively getting worse, well, A, you've set the stage and the stage has been ruined and it's just irrecoverable. So yeah. as a GM, you got to be like, okay, I'm trying to bring this in. I'm trying to bring this in, but at some point you're like, okay. It's I, I, yeah. It's, it's a lot of hard work. And I mean, you can remind the characters about the social contract, but if you're constantly doing it, then what's the point? Yes. Then it's, you know, perhaps it's
1: time to get a new player and, and, and or I a new think, group. And, and I think players do need to be aware that, that the, the reason they get to play is because they've got someone who's prepared to put in the effort and the time.
0: Well, it, you know, it is a mutual thing. I, I'm not going to say the GM is any more important than the players because the players have an onus on each other as well. Because if you are playing poorly, which in essence, Jenny was playing poorly, the other people got pissed and they were out of character pissed, and some people, they let it, they, maybe they were more empathetic, and they are just, maybe they're younger, and they're just like, oh, be empathetic, empathetic, that Jenny's got a problem, whatever, whatever it was, sure, you can take that round, but I'm getting to the point in my life where I'm just like, yeah, I, I, maybe if I was younger, I might let it go and try, but at this point, there's a, 7 billion people on this planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's I, someone I else find, who wants to play. You
1: can find four people who can socially interact with each other, okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: so I mean, it, it's, it is a difficult thing. I mean, you wanna give people the benefit of the doubt and stuff like this, but as a GM, I think it's so, so important that you do set up the stage in that session zero, and that everybody self-checks each other to make sure the, the environment enjoyable. And it is not that any one person is more important than the other, you all play a role. Equally, in order to make it fun and enjoyable for everybody. Yep. And uh, at some point, you know, like I remember in, in the game where I was
1: playing, walking away uh, after sessions and being like, wow, that just, you know. If, uh, if you look at this, the, the, we've just done session one for the second game. It was three hours and it felt like an hour. Session one for the previous game was three hours and it felt like a week. Yeah,
0: I was, it was, and of course, that was my very first session as a GM and man, oh man, I just remember how completely disorganized I felt and I still feel disorganized for sure. But I think I've come to the realization now that just know your NPCs, know what their motivation are, and just remember that motivation. And when a person says something, and and this is why I, I, I always try to not out of character answer as the GM, I try to be like, so and a lot, even with this new group, I caught them a couple of times where they're like, oh, uh, I whisper this to the other guy because they realize that I'm playing that character and yes. I'm hearing you talk to the other characters. Now, unless you specifically say, OK, out of character, uh, off of records, blah. <laughs> if you don't go down <laughs> that road, big. the NPC's hearing you and is going to be like, I don't
1: know what you're talking about or what? What are you saying? And really? it's interesting that that's raised that that, that that has raised the bar in this game significantly. Because right from day one, mm. people are, are realizing that this whole thing about in-character, out-of-character, there's not a lot of out-of-character allowed. Well, you, or, you you remember... It, because, well, it's not that it's not allowed. It's, it's just that it's, it just doesn't it's, get an opportunity to stick its head up, does you, it? You remember how Domina, uh, at one point,
0: she recognized that she was just like, you keep answering in-character. I mean, I want to have an yes. out-of-character conversation. And uh, this group, in session one, they quickly realized that I was answering in character and they just rolled with it.
1: Yeah, and I think that they got the message that um, unless you've got a really good reason to ask something that's out of character, yeah, and I mean, or, 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 or they will get the typical response, I will ask something out of character and you will come back to me with, I have no, with a strange accent saying, I've got no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, we can, every once in a while,
0: rules will come up. And it's really just about, you know, do the rules affect that situation. Like I remember Yeah, yeah you were investigating the, the 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 ground and you rolled a great arcana check and a great history check. So you were able to say, oh, okay, yes, that that shape is definitely got a hint of magic to it, and it's it uh, it's very reminiscent of this spell. And one of the guys was like out of character, but that spell can't be like that. And this was where I, I stepped in as a GM I was like, Yeah, but this is how it's going to be going yeah. forward. So, whatever, because I'm not going to be RAW, I'm not going to be rules as written. It's, you got a story and it's a world of magic. And yes, there's definitions around that magic, but I don't care about breaking them every once in a while just yeah. to make the story, you know, go in a certain direction. It doesn't have to be, you know, it's got to be this way. It's got
1: to be this way. And I did take up on that and I told him that, you know, it isn't what you think it is. Like, what yeah. I think it is yeah. is not what it is. I know it's something like that similar to it, but it's not. Yep all of the rules that you think apply, done. Yeah, I mean, the whole point is that the rules are there to uh, give you a stepping
0: up in order to create the narrative. So they're, they're just there to facilitate the creation of that narrative, but what you do with it and how you do with it, you don't have to be like, Oh, you can't do that because the rules don't allow you. Like for example, uh, again, the barbarian went in and he came in to do this attack. And I was just like, yeah, brilliant. He did a really good description of what he wanted to do. And I was like, great, go ahead, roll at advantage. And that's because I, I said to the guys, if you want to describe your stuff, so if you're going to sit there as the rope, I snuck up on him and you're rolling in a tower on fancy ground. So you don't know if your stealth, stealth checks have been successful. So you're stealthing, stealthing, stealthing. And as far as you know, your stealth is successful and you come in and you jump up to do this. And I'm going to stick my dagger in his neck and, you know, sever his spine. Now, if your stealth checks were successful and stuff like that, and let's say that you're level one and this creature, you've got 10-point hit points and this creature's got 25 hit points, I don't mind saying, yep, he never noticed. You yes. come in there, you managed to sever his spine, even though role-wise that's in, improbable. Narrative-wise, you did a brilliant job of describing what you wanted to do. I'll r- run with it. But if he did notice you and your stealth checks failed... The creature turns as you're in midair, and and then the creature catches you up and stuff like this. And yes. I mean, that's certainly a, a possibility. And and that's just about you've got a story, go with it, but don't you know? Uh, for me, don't completely hinder the, the character's creativity and imagination in their scenarios by yeah. by saying, "Well, no, you can't yeah. do that because of rules." And you've only got to
1: look at the creativity that we dragged into this game, where we're now wandering off to do something that no one had foreseen. Yeah. And, and that just makes it better. I mean, this just is, uh, allows it to be a much better game.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there are, the rules, you have a narrative, but sometimes the rules are uh, something. You can't just completely ignore them. For example, the last game on Dorth, he was moving. And so the rogues can do a cunning action where they can dash as a cunning action. So that basically means if they've got a 30-foot movement, they can move another 60 feet so I, I remember he dashed 90 feet, I, or well, not dash, he moved and then cutting action dashed. And I was just like, oh, uh, 90 feet seems like a lot to be able. To, so I, I wasn't expecting it. And that, that was a point where I was just like, can this be? Because you do know that they have this ability and allows there. So, you know, completely saying, no, you cannot do that. Uh, cuts into the whole point of this is being a rogue. So this is one of those cases where you can't totally ignore the rules because that is part of the foundation of that character. So, you you know, you've got to be able, be flexible. Yeah, I think this, yeah, the flexibility needs to be there. But we didn't really talk much about the the metagaming bit. But, I mean, indirectly, we talked about metagaming. Um, I think that's just always something that people have to be aware of. Like, and it's and this is, again if everybody is working together equally, you can catch that stuff out where yep. I am dealing with this creature and I know that if I do this, it's vulnerable to that. Well, in character,
1: if you've never dealt with that creature, how you wouldn't know that yeah. by the same token that you can also, you you can have a, as a DM, you get the latitude to say, you know, if someone says, I've met this creature before and I know what they do. Um, You can say, yeah, that's fine. So so, so so to that extent, a lot of it becomes the case. You may know, you know, what skeletons do and while your backstory may.
0: Well, see, this is the thing, you know, like I I, I question what is common knowledge and what is not. So like if there are vampires in this world, does is it common knowledge that vampires sleep in crypts? And I sit there and I I have to take parallels from what is in the real world and the real world. Okay. Vampires don't exist, but through uh, stories, everybody knows that vampires sleep in pyramids. So, in this world, would people be under that kind of assumption? Would they? And to me, certain things would. Would you know that doing a stake would do it?
1: There could be stories. You could. So, this is is if you've just recently traveled on a boat for a long distance, then you'll be told stories by the sailors that you know. Maybe stories; they may not be true. If you've lived in a refugee camp, you will get told stories from all over the countryside yeah. and some of that stuff you may be able to use to your advantage. Yeah. Some that you may not. Yeah. So, so and this, this comes down to again, like for example,
0: the Tuscali, you guys experienced the Tuscali, you have seen them coming up from the holes in the ground and then going back into the holes in the ground. So that is common knowledge. How that happens might not be common knowledge. Yeah. So vampires, everybody might know that they sleep in coffins and a stake in the heart. Probably they're going to be vulnerable to that. And then it's up to me to, to like, okay, so that is common knowledge, it could be hearsay, you don't know, mm-hmm. but in this world, what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. So until you've tried it, so th- for example, if, if they're like, I'm going to put a stake in the sleeping vampire's heart, I'm not going to say, no, you don't do that. You don't know that a state stake is going to do that. It might very well be that this is one of those things that people have heard stories. So I'm I mean, okay I mean, with yeah. that. But then it's up to me to be able to say, well, what happens? Yeah, does and it, it might be that you it...
1: use a silver spike rather.
0: Yeah, stuff? you know, just, you know, how stories get mixed up. Maybe it wasn't, you know, so yeah, this is one of those things where you do have to be the in character, out of character,
1: you know, what's metagaming and what's not. There's, there's a balance. I, as a player, I'm a firm believer that you should metagame everything that you possibly can and try and yeah. convince the DM. <laughs> well, and, and this is the you, thing too, because which are the pieces that have come to life. I, I have no doubt that lots of the things I try. In fact, I probably fail more often than I succeed. Well and, and to me, the, the, but it dis- is fun.
0: the Discord channel, me putting NPC information into the Discord channel is absolutely metagaming because it's it's giving you information about the NPCs that there's no way you would know. But I, I do it from the point of view of this is the greater world. You've met some of these characters in this yeah. world, and I, the way I look at it is, I'm giving you information about that character that gives you a bit of insight into who they are. But it, it, which might hopefully change how you interact with them. But it's not and, it's not like giving you a complete uh, uh, the complete nothing. story and motivation behind who they are. And, I will it. never give away
1: a big chunk of who they are. I just
0: want you to feel yeah. more immersed in the story. It's that- essentially the
1: same as just reading a newspaper, isn't it? I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's the one I And these are bits of information that just get put out there. If you read the channel, then you, you've got that information. The same way that you get it by drinking a coffee and listening to the people sitting next to you talking about what was going yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it also is a really convenient way of giving information and background about what's been happening you know, over well, the last twenty-four hours or forty-eight hours, without having to explain it, just type it up. There it yeah, is. Yeah, and I, 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 oh, I love that. I've, I think I've kind of,
0: you know, gone a little bit further than that too, because like with that last one with the previous group, I in I mentioned something to character this NPC that is totally out of session. You guys didn't. You one character knew that the NPC was close by, and that they were awaiting them. And so what I did is I said that that NPC was going to use its familiar to send you guys some stuff. And what I wanted was that when that familiar arrived in front of you guys, that you guys wouldn't, you know, just go and kill it. So I used it specifically as a tool to set a stage so that when we got in session, that you guys wouldn't just overreact when something just, you know, came into play. So I I try to use it as a tool. And again, that's total metagaming, but... So you this can is where that. I say it's not metagaming. Yeah,
1: well, I just say it's, been, it, it, it's just being a good VM and making the game better. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I'm sitting there
0: thinking too that between sessions is quite a bit of time and maybe some stuff uh, is forgotten and other things. And In other, in other ways, I, I'm hoping that in session I want to get from A to B in session and how if I have to do a lot of extra work, prep work in session – that I could do by using the Discord yeah. channel. Uh, that just makes it so we can focus more on on the fun and stuff. And it also
1: means you can set up the, you know, where you're gonna go next week or where you wanna go next week.
0: Well, even even like I was envisioning too that you could use that channel to do things like boring stuff like shopping. Shopping mm. in session is, uh, oh man, it's boring. It's tedious. It is boring. And I, a Fantasy Grounds tries to facilitate by the sense of you walk into the shop, and I don't have to be like, okay, you could, this is the only stuff that's in the shop. If I've done my prep work, well, and there's a bunch of really great tools to automatically create a shop that will be populated with a bunch of items. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to do anything. I create that and then, okay, here's the shop. You guys walk in and you can drag and drop stuff, sell stuff or, or buy stuff from that person as the inventory that they have. I don't have to do anything. All I
1: got to do is pretend to be the owner. Yeah. and that- and that, that kind of <coughs> simplifies things. For, so and interestingly, too, because if there's a lot of pins on a map, it means that you can, you know, it will generally be known that you know, this shop sells this stuff and what sort of stuff they sell. Well, that, so rather than having that long and complex conversation of you have to go and find the shop, you can click on the pins, figure out where it is, well, so and it know means, how long it will take you, all of the things that you would normally do. What I love
0: about the whole Fantasy Grounds and the pins is that uh, I, my map is full of pins of where yeah. everything is. And you guys don't see anything. You just see a map. And yeah. as you go to different places, I, I make the pin visible. Yep. Yeah. So at that point, like if you if you knew that this is a, a a potion shop, well, it's now on your map with a green pin. So you guys are like, so yeah. at, at that point, I'm just I'm not going to tell you
1: anymore. Oh, you know, you got to go
0: here. You know well, it's by there. By the, and the same to you. Token,
1: by the same token, we can talk to people and say, do you know of any potion shops? And you can just say. Yep, a whole bunch of potion shops have just appeared. This is what you've been told about them. Go find them. Yeah. And you go find the the person. You'll find the one that you want. You'll find the person you want. You'll be able to go. Yeah, and and I think then... we can then decide where we will go. Well, and and this is one of
0: those things where, it you know, uh, traditionally was, okay, there's downtime. It's going to take you like a week to find that. So what you can do is you can... I'm going to talk to some NPCs to find this stuff. So downtime-wise... It still could be, instead of taking you a week to find, maybe it's a few days, but mm. there's still going to be a consequence to it. And it just simplifies and smooths things over so that you don't spend three hours of game time. Or, or you know, around, I don't have to 100%. contact you between sessions yeah. and do like an hour of rolling, to, of Nothing. dice rolling on whether or not you find a shot. Yeah. It's just, so within Fantasy Ground, you can set things up to make, Facilitate some of that downtime stuff so that it goes yeah. smoother, and you know, and again, having those shops available certainly reduces the amount of in-session time.
1: You know, shopping, and clearly the easy shops will be there. The you know the local supermarket will be there. The potion shop, the place that fixes your car, will be there. And yeah. the black market shops will be somewhat harder to find, and, and yep, and they will be ones that uh, probably are discovered during... Oh yeah, that, that's time. that's
0: that's a total another conversation about the whole black market and stuff. And as a GM, you you definitely, if you're playing in a city, playing in a countryside is really easy because you've got wilderness encounters. You don't encounter a lot of people. So it's very simple to be, you encounter one NPC. I just need to know one NPC. When you're in a city, this is a city full of people, full of shops. So it is a lot more complicated to run in the city, but I think it's so much more interesting because there's that much more social, interactions and i think you know meeting some character and having a a, you know just a a spontaneous uh, conversation all of a sudden you've got this minor quest you got to go do because of the conversation
1: with the character and uh, and this we go back to this thing about keeping accurate notes that we've discussed before oh lord we've played one day and already i have got i think something like eight characters that i've met and six quests that still have to be fulfilled. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> and, the fun part. And, it's just... and those and those are simple. Those are quests that have come up from from just one line. Things the it was. Yeah. Um, they demanded he tell them where the the idol is. There's the blind beggar that knows where someone is. Um, I can't remember the rest of them, but the list goes on and on and on. And then and the names that we have that we know nothing about. Yep. So yeah, yeah. My biggest
0: lesson learned from this session is make sure you've got that list of names <laughs> <laughs> No, I just made a nine, Because I mean, the kobolds and Daryl, I, I, to me, that, that was a funny one because, uh, but that worked pretty well. I, I used that from, um, Oh God, what was that show from this eighties? There was that Larry, Daryl and Daryl. I just thought it came to my mind and I was just like, yeah, they're all named Daryl.
1: Yeah, this is fun. It also meant you didn't have to use two different voices as well. Yeah, so, I
0: could just keep, and, and you know, yeah, they they came from the same hatchery, so their voices are yeah. the same, and et cetera, et cetera. So it was fun. I, and I thought it was really funny just thinking about a bunch of kobolds all named Daryl and
1: And, you know the whole who's on first, what's on first, right. like, you know that, that kind of stuff, and we still have to get back and find. We've lost the two Daryls, which is really disappointing. We now have to go and find them again, yeah, well, you sent are a one, center, you sent of one
0: Daryl off, to, what did you guys send them off to do? you You, you, you sent him back, Oh, because you like so they their master mm-hmm. said, come i I know what's going on, come meet with me, and then you guys came up with a brilliant idea of like, give us a goal, and we'll come <laughs> yes. and I was just like. Well, that was good. That's interesting. <laughs> so you sent one Daryl off. The other Daryl followed you for a while until the scream happened. And then he just sat he back just disappeared. and
1: disappeared. And then when you guys came out hauling the Tuscali, he wasn't there anymore. So I'm, sure, I'm sure one of the Daryls will come back and we will be able to resume our exploiting the populace for money somewhere along the line. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I, I definitely got my work cut out for
0: me in terms of, of bringing a Tuscali uh, to a city official. And what is that going to mean? It's a good one. It's a good question for me, but otherwise I think that's probably good. We could probably wrap it up there and yep. All right. See you everybody. Bye.